get started this morning. Um, we're going to do a little something different for this sermon. Um, that's why I haven't changed the slide yet. Uh, we're going to do a little different something in, in reading the scripture. This morning we're in Luke chapter 3. And um, we'll read this scripture in a couple of chunks because the um, the worship that we're going to, uh, the the scripture that we're going to read kind of tells of a story unfolding. And so I want to focus on the different parts. Um, this first portion, I want you to think about like an introduction to a movie, one that's setting the stage. I want you to think about specifically the introduction to Star Wars, every Star Wars movie in the series. Um, hopefully, as you're reading, as I'm reading these scriptures, the Star Wars theme song is going to be playing. Um, and I want you to think about how this, these words are setting the stage for this scripture. So let's give this a try and see if I can make it work. Let's go back here. Sorry. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysania, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight and the rough ways made smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I'm not sure how well that worked, but <laughs> it we did it. Okay, great. Voice, but I like read it like the words going. Okay, good, good. That's all you needed to do. <laughs> okay, well, it was a good idea. Um, so the introductions to the Star Wars movies um, always set the stage. They give you the history of what has happened up to this point, and um, they they tell you more about the particular story that you are about to encounter. They tell you who is in power. Um, they tell you. Um, they tell you what has happened politically, um, what's happening in the battle for good and evil. Um, this is what we hear in these first passages, or what you read um, while you listen to the Star Wars theme music. Um, this is what those words are attempting to do. They're setting the scene. They're telling you every person who's in a position of power in another kind of, of movie, um, it might be shown as like a montage of important places, um, palaces and seats of power. The point is that you remember that this story is unfolding in the middle of a larger um, 
a larger story, a larger story politically, a larger story religiously, a larger moment in history that's defined by Roman rule, that's governed by certain people who are in power. These things are not happening in isolation as we come to this story. But these powerful people are just listed. The scene settles in a man on the outskirts of town. One that we know from other scripture dresses in animal skins and eat wild honey and locusts and whatever he can just find out in the woods. The writer of Luke is narrowing in on this man, this John, that we know as John the Baptist. The story did not stop as we were, the camera was swooping in. It did not stop at the places of power. It didn't stop on the palace or the local chambers of government or the temple. It lands on this man out in the wilderness. This is where something exciting is happening. This is where this new movement is taking place. This is where the inbreaking of God is happening in our world. This is the epiphany, the discovery that God is not leading and moving through all those places of power, but God is moving through this guy in the wilderness. And because God is present, others are being drawn to the message of John. Once again, God chooses the most unlikely candidate in the most unlikely place to do something amazing. What God is doing through this nobody in the backwater of the world will affect everything, even up to the emperor. And it's a foreshadowing because each of these political and religious leaders will be someone that Jesus will have encounters with later. This is not the only time that they'll appear in the story. Most of our founding fathers um, of the country um, were not Christians. They were deists. They were they believed in a kind of God that created a world and just set it in motion and uh, like a large clock um, and then just let fate take its course. This kind of make your own way in the world, every person for themselves, is part of what we see pulsing through the veins of our country now. But that this is not the world of a deist God, but a God who is intricately involved in the political and historical messiness of humanity and earth. But what we continue to see of God is that God shows up in completely unexpected places. I'm going to read this next portion of scripture without music, so you should just be able to hear me. <laughs> This is uh, John, or excuse me, Luke 3, 7 through 17. John said to the crowds that came to be baptized him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of, of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, does not bear good, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, well, what then should we do? In reply, he said to them, whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none. And whoever has food must do likewise. 
Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Soldiers also asked him, And what should we do? He said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation, and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be this Messiah, John answered all of them by saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat in his granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news. Sorry, I lost you there for a minute. One commentary that I um, read uh, said the introduction to this next sermon, uh, the next portion of scripture was, what up, snakes and vipers? Um, It's an interesting opening to a sermon. John wakes people up with an unapologetic kind of anger. These are people that are coming to him to be baptized by him. And he warns them not to come with simply a desire to be baptized, This isn't some get clean and quick scheme. Water isn't enough, but a total change of heart is what is needed. Say not within yourselves. We have Abraham to our father, which means don't trust in being members of the visible church or in any external privileges whatsoever. For God now requires a change of heart and that without delay. In a world where generational ties would have been of utmost important, John is saying that is not enough. Going to church, being a good person, seeing yourself as superior to others, to other religions, to other groups is not enough. Church membership and being baptized is not the end of this. What he's inviting them and and all of us into is something more than just performative. It's something that calls for transformation. Three groups came to John to ask, what then shall we do? If what we've been doing is not enough, if what we've been taught isn't all that there is, then what are you asking of us? What what should we do? These three groups uh, represent um, most often what would have been considered as the least close to the kingdom of God. First, the general crowd start asking questions. He tells them to share everything. This is not an every person for themselves kind of message. This is not get what you're entitled to. This is not make yourselves great, but rather make sure everyone has enough. Make sure everyone is taken care of. Make sure that you don't just share. Make sure that you share what you've got. Simple and easy message, but really, really hard to do. But in case we're missing the point about who's coming to John, and thus who God is working through, the second group of people are tax collectors. They were despised. 
these were known to be collaborators with the Romans. They were profiting off the current political system. They, would, uh, they were profiting off the struggle of their own community. They would usually not only take uh, what the Romans would require for the taxes, but they would take extra for themselves. Now, part of this was their own salary. That's how they made their money, uh, which is part of the problem with the, the whole system to begin with. But they would also take even extra in order to continue to line their own pockets. And John doesn't tell them to stop collecting taxes. He only tells them to stop cheating the people. Granted, this is the way they were paid, but John the Baptist is urging people to make money in a more honest way. Next, there are the soldiers, the Romans themselves, the greatest enemy, possibly even the ones who would eventually carry out that the wrath is coming on the temple. And John says to them, don't extort, don't hoard, don't cheat. All of these things deal with possessions, all deal with justice, all deal with the right way to treat others. And all of the commands make perfect sense for the audience that he's talking to, for, for who they are in this moment. The instructions are very personal, which makes them seem kind of simple on the purpose, on the surface, excuse me. They're easy to figure out, but they're a lot harder to do in real life. It's easier sometimes to be given a big command, to do something on a great scale, to, to take a mission trip to another country, to collect a huge offering for missionaries around the world. It's easier to write a, brow, write a book about kindness than to actually be kind to the people that we see on a daily basis. It's easier to do just about anything than to call a family member on a racist joke or, or to speak up when someone's being bullied, to join in the jokes about someone else, to engage in healthy questions with a family member who's caught up believing uh, conspiracy theories or who has politics that we no longer agree with. That is the really hard work of the kingdom. But this is the kind of work that John is calling these people to. It's the work right where they are, in the positions they hold, with the gifts they have, with the opportunities and the people that they're in relationship with, because that is their unique spot in the world. Change happens. The kingdom of God is brought into our world when we are faithful right where we are. This is what John means when he says, bear good fruit. Not everyone will like this good news that the, the one who's coming, the one we know is Jesus, will preach because this is good news for the people. This is a term that Luke uses just to describe common folk, not the powerful and the elite. As I said this week in the email that went out to you all and on social media, um, as I've preached before, the good news is not good news unless it's good news for everyone. About a year ago in worship, when we were together at the Women's Club, I brought in a plant. Uh, you may remember this. It was a real scraggly looking green plant that I brought in um, that I had for 20 plus years. It was struggling a little even still when I brought it in, but, but I talked about how I had brought it back to life because I just about killed it um, uh, when I was in the middle of my move. 
we were talking about what it means to be part of the vine of Jesus, what it means to be good soil. Um, what I've learned this year is that in caring for that plant, um, I have learned the power in pruning and cutting off the dead life in order for new life to come. It's all so big. I can't even like bring it in here and like show it to you and show you all of the new growth adequately on this tiny little screen. I cut off a lot of dead from the plant, the scraggly portions that were just taking up nutrients. It's a pothos plant or pothos plant. I know I'm saying that wrong, but um, it's meant to keep growing, to keep sprouting new leaves and shoots. But because of the neglect, because of the damage, because of just forgetting about my plant um, and giving it, not giving it the right conditions to grow, I had a lot of stems and vines that were literally just surviving. There was not room for new growth to happen. The old parts that were just surviving were stealing nutrients from the other parts that could grow. It's taken some time and it took a lot of faith to like whack at it, (laughs) cut it way back in the spring. But the original plant that I cut off parts of it, I can't even keep up with the new growth. I love looking at it daily and looking for like the new little shoots that are coming out. Again, I can't even describe to you. The leaves that are growing are like rich and green and lush and shiny and they're variegated, like which only happens when the plant is in a healthy place. It's showing all of its beauty. And I've got two new pots where um, the shoots that I cut off, where I put them in water and and let the roots grow and then replanted them, they have new growth. I can't believe that I spent all of those years just trying to get the surviving parts of the plant to grow something new. That's what John is talking about in these verses about the wheat, the chaff, the wind, and the fire. He's saying that the message of Jesus, the work of God, is about cutting back what's just surviving, the parts that are just taking more than their fair share. Those parts will be cut back and cut off. Some of it just gone, but some of it can be replanted. That removal will allow the parts to grow like you would not imagine. God is doing a new thing in the world, and we will be amazed by what we see. And it starts right where we are, being good, honest, faithful, standing up to power, doing what's fair, and speaking up for what to what is unfair. We are invited into the movement of God in our daily lives in this way. One of my devotionals this week by Richard Rohr said this, the word apocalyptic simply means to unveil. Now we know the word apocalyptic and as it, we think of movies or literature where um, there's lots of um, scary stuff happening, but literally it means to unveil. It is some, it's the gift um, and a time like the one that we're living through. It shocks us out of what we take for granted as normal so that we can redefine normal. It uses hyperbolic language and images, such as stars falling from the sky and the metaphor of the moon turning to blood to help us recognize that we're not in Kansas anymore. It's not that it's the end of the world, but it helps us imagine the end of our world as we know it. 
That doesn't mean life doesn't go on, but that our lives won't go on in the way that we thought they would, could, or even should. It allows us to see that what we thought was necessary and inevitable simply isn't, and that everything is eventually gone. When things are unveiled, we stop taking things for granted. That's what major events like the COVID-19 pandemic do for us. They reframe reality in a radical way and offer us an invitation to greater depth and breadth. If we trust the universal pattern, we know that an ending is also the place for a new beginning. Death is followed by a new kind of life. This church has experienced some painful cutting back. We're all experiencing a painful cutting back. We all experienced a painful uh, cutting back in death in 2020. Things we've long held to be true were shaken. Our current political climate and our understandings of racial injustice have made us question what we believe. They've made it difficult to know how to be in relationship with family and friends. The events of this week, watching Jesus saves signs publicly on display next to the Confederate flag and a cross being erected as well as a large noose, a symbol of lynching, leaves us shaken. We are in an unveiling. We are the people in the wilderness saying, what do we do now? It is obvious that what we've known has been shaken away And most moments we are overwhelmed. We are like the crowds coming to John the Baptist asking, what next? What do we do now? And the message is the same. God is working through ordinary people in the ordinary parts of the world in their day-to-day lives. It is the most simple and the most challenging work that we are being invited into. It is the work of being faithful right where we are. Will you pray with me? God, this morning, as we have new words to reflect on, as we think about how you've been moving in our lives in the last year, we thank you for the ways that you have pulled back the veil the things that maybe we didn't see as clearly a year ago as we do now. The world, the parts of our world that have been deconstructed, the way that our values have been clarified for us. We thank you for what we've learned as we've been able to watch up close what happens around the world, what's always been going on in the areas of racial injustice and in um, the stories behind our political fights. God, this morning, we do pray for our country, the country that we are actively choosing to be a part of every day. We pray that you would continue to pull back the veil, to help us to see what really does run through our veins. I think that's that's what we're being challenged to, to take a closer look at. Help us to be faithful in the little moments right where we are. That is a much harder work. 
help us to pay attention, to be open, to continue to learn and to be open to, to speak, to ask good questions, to be in dialogue, to be kind, to be loving, but also to speak up to injustice. God, help us to always love you more than we love our own comforts, our own personal situation in life, and even our own country. God, help us to cut away the things that keep us from making you first. God, as always, we thank you for this invitation into this important work. We thank you that you come and you meet us right where we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. As we close out, uh, I will say that I had told Michael (laughs) that as we move back online to Zoom, that my goal was to have shorter sermons. Um, I realized this morning was not one of those. 